boots are meant to take you somewhere. Since 1932, Danner has been living by that belief, which is why they've been crafting boots with purpose and integrity in Portland, Oregon, so that you can head out on any adventure knowing you're showing up prepared for whatever's down the road. Danner also so strongly believes in the quality of their footwear that they are committed to recrafting your old USA-made Danner boots into ones that are better than new. Because whether it's a shale-covered path, a dirt road, the base of a waterfall, or the top of a mountain, your boots are your vessel to get you somewhere you've always wanted to experience. To find out more and see their entire line of women's boots, visit danner.com. That's D-A-N-N-E-R.com. This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Smartwool. Smartwool wants to share their love of the outdoors with more people, which is why they make performance clothes that uncomplicate your adventures. And their PhD Pro collection of performance socks is no exception. They're built with athlete insights to help elevate each sock's comfort, fit, and durability. And it's not a one-activity-fits-all situation. They've developed socks specific to the things you like to do in the outdoors, be it trail running, approaching a climb, fly fishing, skiing, or hiking. Stay tuned for later in the episode. I'll review Smartwool's PhD Pro Outdoor Light Crew Hiking Socks, which feels fitting because I got started hiking with Smartwool socks. Learn more at smartwool.com. Go far, feel good. A heads up before we get started, this episode contains some light swearing, Sydney's very enthusiastic, um, and also some references of sexual assault. Okay, on with the show. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. We are jamming in the van in the parking lot at Blue Hills Reservation in Quincy, Massachusetts. Yeah, so we're pretty close to Boston. Yeah. And we just took a hike. We did. I don't know how long it was because my phone decided not to tell me, but we're going to say we just did like 10 miles (laughs) through the reservation. We were so badass. (laughs) A few weeks ago, I got the treat of driving down to meet Sydney Williams, founder of Hiking My Feelings, for a hike and a conversation. We probably walked about four miles through the rolling blue hills just south of Boston. It was windy and spitting rain, but it was super satisfying to look back at the skyline of a city I used to call home. As we hiked, we talked it out. I got to hear all about her last year on tour with Hiking My Feelings. I wish I could have recorded that conversation, but... That's not always the way it goes. Instead, we caught up in the van she and her husband, Barry, call headquarters and home. If this feels like fodder for our sister podcast, Women on the Road, you're not wrong. But Sydney and I first talked a year ago, before she took her story on the move. I think uh, a lot has changed for me personally, but I feel like my episode was released during the Kavanaugh hearings last year, and I feel like as a society, I don't feel like anything has really changed for the better. I feel like maybe, in fact, it's gotten worse, but I feel like personally, my whole life has done a complete 180 from where we were last year. Yeah, you've been on tour. Yes. <laughs> and what what have you been doing on tour? On tour, I've been speaking at REI stores and at different universities and different organizations, sharing the story that I shared with you last year and leading hikes around the U.S., In case you missed Sydney's episode, Lightening the Weight of Trauma on the Trail, Sydney shared her experience of hiking the Trans-Catalina Trail in California and having a breakthrough about her sexual assault years prior, her subsequent PTSD, and its connection to her type 2 diabetes diagnosis. 
Since then, she's been sharing her story at retail stores and colleges around the country. And at each event, she's able to connect with people who have a piece of their own story they've been looking to lighten. I asked her if anyone she talked with particularly spoke to her, and Melissa Geisinger came to mind. She was actually on this podcast, too, back in June. One of the things that I did not anticipate happening on tour was this, like, me finding my story in other people's lives and vice versa. Like, I knew that me sharing this story would be helpful because I've gotten so much understanding and language for what I've survived just by hearing other survivors talk about stuff and not even sexual assault survivors specifically, but just people who aren't afraid to talk about the hard shit in life. When I was sitting in the van with Melissa, we were in Santa Rosa, California, and she was talking about the fire and her son and all this stuff. And at one point in time, she was just like, you know, when we broke ground on the new house and when we signed and we knew that that was going to be happening, she's like, it just felt like a big exhale. And I was like, could you say that again? And she told me like about the fire and this, her son and everything. And I was like, I didn't even have context for what my life was like between assault and when I realized what happened last year on the Trans Catalina Trail. But in her telling her story, I was like, oh my God, like I've been walking around holding my breath for over a decade. That's not healthy. <laughs> like breathing is super important. And so one of the things that's been most surprising that I love so much about sharing this story is just learning about other people and the stuff that they've been through and how very, very similar everybody I've met is. Like, we're so much more alike than we are different, I think. What have your experiences been on the trail with other people, like the people who, you know, go to your talk and then they feel compelled to to go hike it out too? Um, Do you feel like it's a good place to generate conversations? I do. And I think the thing that I really like the most about the hikes that we do when people go to the talk and the hike is just being able to continue that conversation. I am not a person that prescribes things to people. Like I know very little about your life except for what you tell me. So it would be ridiculous for me to think that I could tell you how to live it. So even in how I write and how I speak, like I speak from my lived experience and my personal understanding of the world and my filters and with that, my biases too. Um, So I think the cool thing about being on the trail with people is not like, this is what we're going to do from mile one to mile three. Like we don't have a structure. It's, It's like make the most of this opportunity. It's giving women an opportunity to come around to their own feelings and beliefs and the things that they've been through and find a way to articulate it because what we are creating is a safe space to do that. I'm opening up my entire life story and my my book as it were and literally to help other people see like it's okay to talk about this stuff and when they feel like they can it's magical. Sydney has written a memoir and it's available for pre-sale now. She's self-publishing it so she could have complete control over the story she wants to tell. The book came as a nudge from one of my mentors, and then the story unfolded on the trail. And as we discussed last year with all the discoveries that I made between understanding where my diabetes came from and why and how. So the story of the memoir is it starts with me finding out that my friend Chris, who was a U.S. Army veteran, had hung himself the night before. It starts in my kitchen. I'm on the floor crying. So at the beginning of 2014, and then it takes you through 
the two years that led up to my first backpacking trip. It goes through the first hike on the Trans-Catalina Trail itself, which was the hardest thing I've ever done physically. And I'm somebody who fancies himself a pretty athletic person. I've done some hard things in my life um, as far as athletic pursuits go, but that was the hardest thing I've ever done. And then it takes you through my diabetes diagnosis, takes you through all of the trials and tribulations of going back to corporate America, going into the startup, and then the second trail itself. And um, my hope for this is there's, I have multiple hopes, and I know a lot of people will tell me that I need to get focused if I want this to sell, but that's not really how life works. We're not single facet human beings. So the intentions behind the memoir, first and foremost, is A, hey, if you've survived anything, you're not alone. Here's my story, read it. And if you, know, if you find something in here that helps you put language around what you've been through, take it and run with it. Because if, if anything that I say can help you heal, don't feel like you're a copycat. Don't feel like you're assuming your story to be mine. Like going back to the thing about how we're all more alike than different, you're gonna probably hear some stuff in my story that has happened to you or that you've heard said to you as well. So my intention first and foremost is to let people know that they're not alone. Secondly is to expand the definition of sexual assault because the reason that I didn't tell anybody, even myself, like I couldn't admit that what happened to me was sexual assault because I wasn't in an alley, there wasn't a gun to my head and it didn't happen by a stranger. It was somebody that I knew from work, it was on my friend's couch and I woke up and it was happening. So my intention with the book is to expand that definition of sexual assault because I didn't know that acquaintance rape was a thing. And if I had, I might have been able to start my healing process much sooner and I wouldn't have been carrying around this invisible backpack full of my trauma that we talked about last year. I might not have been carrying that for so long. So know that you're not alone, expanding the definition of sexual assault, and then also putting kind of a face to a diabetic because there's a lot of negative jokes and memes and stigma around the disease. Um, type 2 diabetes, I would argue, is one of the most political diseases out there in that it's largely rooted in your ability to prevent it and manage it. When I was diagnosed with diabetes, I was making $118,000 a year. I had a platinum benefits package through my employer and unlimited time off. If none of those things were true, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Like if I didn't have access to whole, fresh, healthy foods, I wouldn't have been able to eat myself into health. If I was working two or three jobs trying to make ends meet, or if I was a single mother trying to keep food on the table and I had more people to provide for and I didn't have time to exercise, I wouldn't be sitting here where I am today. If I didn't have a boss who was like, yeah, take all the time you need to go manage your health, I might've lost my job and then I wouldn't have had the financial resources to handle it. So I really dissect diabetes from my position of privilege to help people understand like, no, it's not just fat, dumb, lazy people who get it. Like, yes, ultimately type two diabetes has created this container where I understand the implications of the decisions I make in my life on a day-to-day -day basis, health-wise, the food I eat, how I move my body, how I manage my stress. But ultimately like, yes, it is my responsibility, but the deck is stacked against us for all the reasons that I just mentioned. So really trying to break it down so people can understand that yeah, this is really prevalent. 49% of U.S. adults have type 2 diabetes or are pre-diabetic. That's a lot of us. So how do we talk about the trauma that manifests into diabetes and how do we go heal? And that's kind of like the big rounded picture of the memoir itself and also what we're doing with Hiking My Feelings as an organization. And um, where are you at um, with your diabetes diagnosis? 
So I almost died in February <laughs> because apparently I'm not diabetic anymore. When we first talked last year on the podcast, I believe I was off medication. So I was just managing it through diet and exercise, which is an accomplishment in and of itself. And when I had my lab work come back and everything looked great, they were like thumbs up, but we didn't talk about adjusting my nutrition plan. So I was continuing to eat as if I had high blood sugar, which includes like restricting on some like simple carbs and stuff like that and making different choices about the food I put in my body. And when I was at a concert in February this year, um, I had been eating like I was still had high blood sugar and I passed out. I lost all motor function. I couldn't see, I couldn't hear. I dropped to the ground. Barry caught me, said I felt like a sack of potatoes. And him and one of my friends had to drag me out of this concert venue. And fortunately they had medics on site and they stuck a tube of glucose in my mouth. And within a few seconds, I was like coherent and like I could open my eyes and stuff. And then within a couple minutes, like I remembered my name and that Trump was president. But the issue is, is like if I had been further up towards the front of the concert or if the bouncers had just like tossed me aside, because when you're in a hypoglycemic episode, you really appear to look like pretty hammered. <laughs> So all the bouncers thought that I was drunk and Barry was yelling, no, she's a diabetic. We need to get her out of here. She needs medical attention. If any kind of other factors had played into that, the next step, because I had already lost complete motor control and all sensory control, um, the next step is diabetic coma and after that is death. So I found out that diabetes isn't part of my concern health-wise right now anymore because I almost died at a concert. Um, that happened on a Friday. This, that weekend was terrible because I couldn't talk to my doctor until Monday. So I was like, apparently I might just drop dead now. That's a thing. But when I talked to my doctor and they pulled up my labs, they're like, oh yeah, you're good. You need to eat everything and eat more of it. No more restrictions. And I'm a woman who's got a disordered relationship with food. I was like, if you tell me I can eat anything, I will go put my face in a cake. <laughs> like I need, I need you to be a little bit more specific. Like as a diabetic, I was given a range where my blood sugar levels should be like when I wake up, after I get done eating and before I go to bed, I was like, am I still looking at these targets? Are these still the numbers I'm trying to meet? Do I need to keep pricking my finger? Like what's the deal? And they're like, no, like any kind of restriction that you had nutritionally, just start incorporating those things back into your life. Like obviously don't get to stick your face in a cake, but you can have the things that you haven't been having. And that was a kind of a mind fuck because I live in a van and now all of the convenience foods aren't off limits anymore. I mean, if I wanna to continue to manage my diabetes and be a good diabetic patient and continue to keep it at bay, I can't just go start ordering double cheeseburgers every day. But it was kind of a really interesting adjustment on the road especially to learn how to nourish myself again because like I had had such a disordered relationship with food after the assault and then I really cleaned it up and like did everything the doctor said and took everything they said to heart when I first got diagnosed. And then like I had incredible results really quickly because I, I didn't have a job. Like my job was to manage diabetes. What's happening now in my body, technically my diabetes is in remission. And what that means is like my body, I got diagnosed early enough in the process of having diabetes that my pancreas still produces enough insulin to manage my, my blood sugar naturally at the size and body mass that I am now. I don't know what the threshold is and I'm not really willing to find out. So I still take really good care of myself. That's why we hike all the time. That's why we created Hiking My Feelings was so I could manage this disease. So like I'm still watching what I eat. I'm still doing all the hikes that we can, but there is that like, 
that like exhale, like, okay, I don't have to be like so disciplined with what I'm doing. And at the height of like my managing the disease, I got to be like, I think I was like 129 pounds, which for me, that's the lightest I've ever, I can ever remember being in my life since I started stepping on a scale and caring about what the number said. And looking back at those pictures, like leading up to where I started to get sick, like where I was like having a hypoglycemic episode at a concert, I was on the lower end of what I would consider to be healthy. So it's been a really interesting exercise in learning like, okay, yes, I need to manage this disease. And also I need to make sure that I'm not over managing it because I don't want to get to the point where I'm putting my health in jeopardy because I'm so good at not eating bad food. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I don't even like saying bad food because I think that that's like, that's super problematic in its own right. But as a diabetic, there are concerns that you have to take into consideration as far as your nutritional requirements. So I'm fortunate in that I was able to do everything that I did to manage the disease. I'm fortunate that I live a life now that I can still continue to keep it maintained. And my relationship with the scale has been quite the trial this year because I, wa I was down like at the lowest I had ever been. And I was like really proud of myself for that because there's still, even though I've done all this mindset work, even though I know number on the scale doesn't matter, even though I've been like immersing myself in body positivity and all the things that like, really like unfucking myself with my own fat phobia for myself because I was I was disgusted with my own body and like how am I supposed to show up in community with other people around me so when I was like dialing that back in as I was getting back on the scale and I was like expanding the kinds of foods that I incorporated into my nutritional plan as my weight went up and as we were hiking more, I was like, oh my God, I'm gaining weight. Oh my God, like I'm going to have diabetes come back. I'm going to have to start pricking my finger again. And then I was like, oh, we're hiking like a lot. My butt looks amazing. I'm building muscle. Like this is not me being neglectful of my health. This is actually muscle weighs more than fat and all that stuff. So it was like, just, it's been the biggest like adventure in the weirdest way of like, just really coming to give myself permission to manage the disease in the way that I know how and also be open to knowing that it's okay for me to have bad days and like freak out about it because I'm still so new at having this disease like I've only had it for two years so learning how to build a life around it and incorporate all the things I need to do to be successful in managing it is a trial and error thing especially when we're on the road. Has it been a trial and error as well, like communicating that side of your story in talking about weight loss? Because I know that can be a bit of, like you talked about, it's triggering for yourself, so it can be triggering for other people too. Yeah, and that's one of the things in the book that I, that I really try to make sure that I'm articulating clearly is that my journey with this disease and with my body image issues as an athlete, as a woman, as a diabetic, like I've got three layers of stuff that I'm working with. There's so much societal conditioning into thinking about what it means to be a woman and how you should show up and how you should take up space. And I found that the thing that's really been challenging for me is catching myself when I, when I start operating from one of these biases that I don't even know that I have. And so I'm really thankful for resources like Fat Girls Hiking, for Unlikely Hikers, because I had been using words like overweight which is essentially like just saying that there is a weight that you should be and you're over it. And I didn't even know that, like, I didn't even know the nuance of that language and how that was like affecting my mindset around my own body and the way I manage my own health. So 
as we've been going through these different processes and as I've been learning what it means to be managing this disease strictly and then not strictly, it's just been a lot of compassion for myself and a lot of forgiveness for myself because at the end of the day, like, I don't know what I don't know until I know it. So whenever I have the opportunity to be corrected on anything, I really take that as a data point for an opportunity to change and an opportunity to like make my life easier. Because if I don't have to hold on to these beliefs that I just assumed were mine, then I can go and operate from a different mindset and a more accommodating mindset and a more compassionate mindset that makes me a better human when I'm in community with people who don't look or love or work like me. Cause we're all very different, but again, very similar. It's <laughs> great. Um... I want to give you the opportunity to grab a sip of water if you yeah. need one. I'm going to grab one too. Yeah. And also tell you that you look a lot like Reese Witherspoon. Have you gotten that before? I have. Yeah. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just like looking. <laughs> we'll hear more from Sydney after this. If you like to hike, you know trustworthy socks are essential. They help protect your feet from blisters. They help keep you dry and warm. And you always tuck an extra pair in your pack, both because to get caught without them could compromise your time out there, and also for a treat, because nothing feels like a fresh pair after a long day on the trail. Smartwool knows it too, and their PhD Pro socks take hiking socks to another level. See, they're made with real athlete insights to make sure they'll perform while you're out there. I got to try them recently on a five-mile hike here in New Hampshire. Our terrain is pretty rocky, and I need ankle support, so my pain point is usually blisters on my heels when I'm wearing ankle boots. Well, the PhD Pro Outdoor Socks have an Achilles strap, which provides extra protection while still being breathable and lightweight. I found that the socks stay in place, making for less friction, and you guessed it, no blisters. That right there is enough for me to make these my go-to hiking socks. But Smartroll has really thought of everything. Durability, mesh venting for temperature control, a lightly cushioned sole, and a virtually seamless toe. So they'll help you stay comfortable no matter your hike. Learn more about the full line of PhD Pro socks at smartwool.com. Go far, feel good. It might be a desolate, dusty back road or exploring the Pacific Crest Trail. It might be a coastal landscape or a desert mesa at sunrise. It might be somewhere new or it might be an adventure you're visiting because it was just too good to not share with someone else. But no matter what road you choose on your next big trip, Danner is a boot that wants you to go there. You might be a seasoned outdoor professional or it might be your first time hiking. Whether it's for working, hiking, lifestyle, or hunting, Danner has you covered. With a commitment to crafting boots with purpose and integrity since 1932, Danner's boots have both style and performance that will have you showing up prepared for whatever lies ahead of you. Because the truth is, you don't put on a pair of Danner boots to sit around the house. They're made for adventure, exploration, and the hard work you'll put into them day in and day out. You put in the work of showing up, of planning, of saying yes to the unknown. Let your boots be the thing that helps to truly take you somewhere. So be it the mountains, the shore, the desert, the workday taking you into the elements, or the trails calling your name, go there with Danner. To find out more and see their entire line of women's boots, visit Danner.com. That's D-A-N-N-E-R.com. We're back with Sydney. I asked her what it's been like building a business around her story. 
Starting your own venture is hard, but for Sydney, it's worth it. My husband, Barry, is a saint and a half. Like, at one point in time this summer, I was having a complete and total meltdown outside of Portland REI, and he was like, hey, um, how long have we been doing this? And that was July of this year, so I started hiking my feelings um, in May of 2018. So I was like, over a year, Barry. Like, I have been doing this for over a year, and I was just exasperated. He's like, but when do we leave for the tour? It's like, we left for the tour at the end of March. He's like, so we've been doing this for four months. At what other point in your life or career have you ever done anything for four months and expected to get what you're expecting to get here? And I was like, never, <laughs> you know, like, and it was a real honest moment. Like, and it wasn't judgment. He wasn't like, hey, get your shit together. It was just like, hey, one, look at what you've done in four months. And also look at what you've done in four months. Like it's, it's only been four months. So now we've been doing this. Um, our anniversary of starting the tour is actually on the 12th. My first talk was at um, the Burbank REI on October 12th last year. So we've been doing this talk around different REI source for over a year now. As much as I would love, and if you're listening REI, as much as I would love to get paid to do this, um, ultimately like the opportunity is to connect with people in this way, the opportunity to feel seen and heard and believed and understood as a survivor for, by the time we get home, I will have spoken at more than 60 stores um, and led more than 50 hikes this year. So it's been such a blessing. Like I've been holding in this story for the last decade plus, and I feel like I'm making up for lost time. And like to have the opportunity to A, share my story and feel heard and understood and seen is a beautiful gift, but also to know that it's helping people yeah, like that good feeling doesn't keep gas in the tank, but it does because the more that we can do this, I, I'm a firm believer that I just need to be in the right room at the right time with the right person for them to get it and have the resources to help back this up that we could actually go and take this to the moon like I know that it can be done. You never know, someone could be listening too. So that's, Also that. It's <laughs> always my hope. <laughs> yeah. How is it for you when you do talk to people who've, experience some kind of trauma and you know we talked about that invisible backpack last year do you feel like you take on extra weight in talking with other people like what's your personal experience around interacting with other people who've experienced trauma I haven't ever done a really long through hike yet but I read stories on Instagram and I read like blog posts and, you know, hear these interviews with these through hikers that like they sit around the campfire or wherever when they get done hiking for the day and they're all like unpacking their stuff. And I feel like that's what the talk is. It's like, I'm here, I'm unpacking my backpack. Here's everything I got. What you got in yours? Cool. Like it, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I say that at the beginning of every talk, like I'm not medically or like psychologically or whatever inclined or licensed to help you with this, but I am a person who's been through a lot and I'm not afraid to talk about it. And I'm really happy to share the resources that have helped me get through it. So it really feels like we're all just kind of hanging out at a campsite and just unpacking our shit. Like this van turns into like some kind of weird therapy session in here. Like not like lay on my couch and I'll like heal all your problems, but like people just feel like compelled to share. And I can see the, I can see the dots connecting. Like there's certain parts of my talk where I'm like, I know that at least one person will see themselves in this. And it's usually on the big list of things that I read, which was like my internal negative soundtrack, because at the end of the day, I, I genuinely believe that we've all got like this like inner critic that's like nagging at us to do better and go faster and make it better and be a better person and be smaller or whatever. And 
I know we all have that. And so when I read that list, like I, it's really hard for me to look up sometimes because I have a note card. It's the same note card I've been carrying since the first talk of all these things that I worked through on the hike. And it's all like tattered and like it's torn at the edges now because it's all folded up. But it's really hard for me to look up when I read that list. And when I do, there's always at least one person who's like waiting for eye contact. Like they're like, I, I feel this. I, I'm with you. And like that opportunity to connect with somebody in that way and then continue that conversation, whether it's in the van or on the trail or online later, has just been one of the biggest blessings ever. Let's talk about 2020. What do you see for Hiking My Feelings? Well, we are going to do another lap around the U.S., provided that Ruby, our lovely van, can get us around the U.S. another time. I think she can. She's been a trooper this year. Um, But we'll do another lap for a book tour. So going back to some of the REI stores that I visited this year um, and reconnecting with folks there, we're also hosting some retreats. So we're doing one short weekend retreat on Catalina Island in March where we're doing that last loop of the trail where I had my big like, oh my God, this is why my whole life is the way it is moment. And we're incorporating yoga and Reiki healing. And for anybody out there that listens to reggae music, there's a band called Pepper. And the lead singer and guitarist Kaleo Wassman is a friend of ours and his wife is leading the yoga and they're both doing Reiki and then he's doing an um, intimate acoustic set at the end of the hiking adventure. So bringing together all the things that help me heal, which is good music with positive lyrics and good vibes, healing and the different modalities with hiking and yoga and Reiki. And then um, we're also doing another through hike of the Trans-Catalina Trail, this time hosting other people on it and guiding them through the journey. Um, One of the things about the memoir is at the back of the book, for each chapter, there's definitely like life lesson themes that come throughout my story in each chapter, but I felt that it would be really distracting to tell my story and then also pull you out of it and be like, oh, and P.S., this is what you should have learned. So at the end, there's a space for reflection. So each chapter has three or four journal prompts and then space to reflect, kind of pulling the themes out of each chapter as my life was going across the trail and throughout my diagnosis and everything else. So on the course of the hike that we're doing across the Trans-Catalina Trail, we'll be working through those things as we go across because they tie in directly with the different points on the trail where I had some of these moments. Some other events that we're doing that I'm really excited about, um, we're doing a through hike of a new trail, new-ish trail in Chicago called the Outer Belt. And it's a 210 mile urban through hike and it connects existing um, pedestrian walkways, some like forest preserve areas and the Des Plaines River Trail, which runs on like the Western side of the loop. And we're doing it to raise awareness of what we're doing here at Hiking My Feelings and also to raise money for the American Diabetes Association and for RAIN. Really, my big plan for this is to make it like as big of a media splash as we can to give a platform and amplify the voices of the people in the Chicago community that are already doing work to increase diversity outdoors, to increase inclusion outdoors, and just making it really obvious that you don't have to have the resources to go hike 
the Pacific Crest Trail or go take a week adventure through Yosemite in order to have these kinds of healing experiences. Um, so we're bringing a little bit of that like rewilding conversation into it. How can we add more green spaces to urban areas? Because at the end of the day, like what Hiking My Feelings is about is identifying the trauma, seeing how that manifests in our bodies as physical and mental disease, and then finding a way to heal from that. And the way that we choose to heal is spending time outside. I've said from the beginning that this is bigger than my story and it's bigger than hiking. I'm a visual person. I call myself a recovering marketer. So I've always thought of this as like a website for a campaign and the campaign would be like blank my feelings. So it's hiking my feelings, which is where I started. But it's also as I've learned on the road, I'm talking to all these people. Some people kayak their feelings. Some people backpack their feelings. Some people rock climb their feelings. Some people trail run their feelings like all of these different activities that get us outside. The key theme through all of it is that we're getting the devices out of our hand. We're removing ourselves from the messaging that surrounds us that tells us that we're too much or we're not enough. And it gives us a space to disconnect from our devices and all of that messaging and reconnect with ourselves. So this hike around Chicago, it's 210 miles. We're doing it over 20 days and it's flat. It's Illinois. So it's not like it's gonna be a challenging 10 miles every day but we've identified different um, diabetes support groups, different sexual assault like crisis centers and support groups. And we're starting to reach out to different organizations that are doing work in the city of Chicago or have chapters in Chicago um, that we can help amplify and give them a platform because we're doing this in partnership with REI, the Outer Belt Alliance. My entire career has been training me to promote the piss out of this. So like, I'm hoping that I can take everything that I've ever learned and the platform that I will be able to develop around this event to help really spread the word about the people that are already doing this work and really just show like how incredible the outdoor community is when it comes to making people feel like they've got a safe place to go do whatever it is. If they're doing it to heal, great. If they're doing it to feel good and like heal their bodies and like feel fit and all that stuff that's awesome too like whatever the reason is for getting outdoors we want to amplify that and just pass the megaphone around the table awesome yeah i'm wondering whether if someone's listening and they've experienced some kind of trauma you know they will be able to purchase your book and and read through it maybe they're not ever able to go see you speak or interact with hiking my feelings or blank my feelings in another way but you know a lot of what you're doing is connecting people even though it's not like a meetup group there are other groups that you can do that through Um, but would you encourage people to to open up about what they've experienced and I don't know what like the a lot of the the hiking or the, the activity piece is like very internal to kind of get to the next step but like what advice would you have for people who are kind of grappling with finding community around trauma I think the biggest part and this is just my my answer to this question is based on how I did it um, so take what works for you and leave the rest if you're listening but I would say what my the way I share content, the way I write, the way I do videos, the way I show up at my talks, the way I show up on the trail, I talk about what I've been through. I can only speak from my own experience. So I think having the conversation with yourself first is the biggest part. And if people, if you start to like, if you've been out there looking for validation and healing from other people and you realize this is something I need to do for myself, your community around you might react in different ways to that. 
Um, unfortunately, one of the byproducts of me living my life out loud in this way is that I haven't had communication with my immediate family for almost a year. Um, when I told them about my story and when I told them about what we were planning on doing, there was a definite shift in the dynamic and I came to understand that I needed to establish boundaries. So part of the healing process is really identifying like what are your beliefs and are they yours? Um, when we talk about that trauma pack, like, yeah, it's full of our stuff, but it's full of other people's stuff too. So if, you're st if your backpack's heavy because you're carrying around the expectations your parents put on you or your coaches or your mentors or whatever your specific situation is, taking off that backpack is the first step. Having the conversation with yourself is really important. And when you start to move into like this period of time where you're looking within instead of looking outside of yourself for validation and support, people can have a different opinion about what that looks like. And some people might even call you selfish. And I say fuck off to those people because if you can't show up for yourself, if you can't heal yourself, if you can't find a way to get back in touch with like the person that you know you are or that you want to be, that for whatever reason is not currently present, then how are you supposed to show up in community authentically? Because if you're showing up as who you think people want you to be, you cannot be like your true self. So the the journey to like getting back to yourself and understanding who you are and who, how you want to show up is pretty fucking lonely to be honest so be prepared for that but also like this is how we save the world i genuinely believe like if we can all stop trying to do everything for everybody else and just bring it in bring it home and do it for ourselves then we show up in community in a much different more open giving kind of way and then when our communities see us showing up that way, they want to do the same. They want to be positively impacted in the way that you have been positively impacted. And then everybody starts doing their little growth all for themselves. And then eventually we get to the point where we feel like we can share this with others. And when we do, then like the stuff that you've been through ultimately at some point could be somebody else's survival guide. The second that we start talking about the stuff that's happened to us, I say this at the end of my talk, like if I was standing here in this van and I was bleeding out, you'd be like, we need to wrap this podcast, let's go to the hospital. But we don't do that with emotional or physical, like emotional pain or emotional trauma. We tell people to suck it up. We tell them to like get it together and we have a really unrealistic expectation of what it means to come back to work or school or life after a traumatic event. So like take the time that you need, do what you need to do to feel whole and complete. And if that means going and getting a therapist, go get it. If that means going and hiking a trail for days on end, go do it. But figure out what you want and make it happen for yourself. And also when there are people that are here who see you, who love you, who wanna support you, let them in and let them help because none of this can be done in a vacuum. Some of it has to be done for ourselves and by ourselves. But ultimately, we have to be open to receiving the help that others are willing to give us as well. So start with yourself. And then that's where we talk about that ripple effect. Like if you're the little drop and then everybody else is positively impacted by the work you've done for yourself, then the world becomes a better place eventually. Thank you so much to Sydney for meeting me in Boston to reconnect and finally meet in person. 
It's been incredible meeting so many wonderful people through this podcast, and it's been even more incredible to watch them grow and to see where they go from here. This is just a stop along the way, but it's really impactful. And it's truly a delight to see Sydney taking her story forward. And speaking of, you can pre-order her new book, Hiking My Feelings, by heading to her website, hikingmyfeelings.com. I'll link it in the show notes. There you can also find tour dates and other ways to get to know Sydney better, too. Thank you to our sponsors, Danner and Smartwool. If you enjoy listening to She Explorers, it'd be so great if you showed your support by writing a review where you listen or sharing the podcast with a friend. It's how other people find us. I also highly recommend the She Explorers podcast Facebook group. It's probably my favorite place on the internet. I think I said that last week, but it's really constructive community uh, that helps us keep pushing our boundaries and growing, but also just enjoying where we're at in the outdoors and otherwise. Music is by Josh Woodward, Lee Rosevere, and Kay Angle via the Free Music Archive. Until next week, have fun out there. You were just giving me pure Reese Witherspoon. (laughs) 